you and a privilege to worship with you. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, isn't it refreshing just in the middle of the, all the stuff we do the, during the week and all the things that are going on for us just to pause and worship and worship with great friends, people that I love. And so thank you very much for the encouragement to my soul this morning. We get to be in God's word this morning. I invite you to turn to John chapter 11 as uh, God's intent is to speak to you and to encourage you, to strengthen you for this week, to live for him with all your heart and your soul and strength. And I had this really great privilege uh, yesterday, yesterday morning, to be at a memorial service. Sometimes you wouldn't think that that would be, you know, one of the highlights of your week, but it was for me, and uh, just seeing God at work. And I had an opportunity to have a conversation with this couple after uh, our time there and during the reception, and they had, uh, they were seekers. They were trying to figure out uh, the role of God in their life, and they had lived all their life really apart from really a present you know, joy-filled experience with God, and they were trying to figure out. And I was thinking how appropriate, you know, that God takes us to places in our life, and he gets our attention, and then helps us understand why we're alive, and what our purpose is, and what our future should be like. And that's what this text is about. This text is about helping us understand something that the Lord Jesus Christ is investing into us. So it's John chapter 11. I think if you don't have a Bible or you don't have your Bible on your phone, just get it on your phones, okay? So that way you can have it all the time with you. Um, But there are some Bibles provided for you in the the pews there, and I think it's on page 897 thereabouts. Is that right? Perfect. John chapter 11. And uh, it's for some of you a text that you are a story that you are aware of or familiar with. And the point of us camping on this text is to see what Jesus is investing into our lives through it, and I think you will find it really deeply powerful and meaningful. So um, we're going to just jump right into this. And we've been in this message series about investments, and um, for the the model of investments, we haven't taken Warren Buffett or one of those famous Wall Street people who are great at investments, but we've thought bigger and more significant about who would be the model for our investments in our lives? And the Bible's answer is, oh, good. Someone said it, Jesus, because we're a church, right? Yeah, someone said it, Jesus, and it's true that we're taking Jesus as a model because we believe that the investments he made in his lifetime were far more lasting and more significant, paid far greater dividends than anybody on Wall Street had or anybody like Warren Buffett, or somebody that other people might look up to. And um, there's a reason why we say Jesus. Because beyond the whole integrity thing with Wall Street, right, and the focus on stuff, Jesus' focus was on people and things that last eternally. And no one in his or her lifetime has had their investments leave such a legacy. So that's why we turn to Christ's life and think about it deeply. What are the things he's investing in? And this morning, we're looking at a specific investment he made as we look at John chapter 11. And um, because we're going to read the first 40-some, 44 verses, it's a longer text. I have a couple people that I need to help read the text with me. So, um, yeah, John, come on up, you guys. I just grabbed them. 
So I guaranteed, I promised them there weren't any giant like place names or weird you know, like names in the text. You know how you get there and sometimes you get put on the spot to read and then you discover it's like in the middle of Numbers or Leviticus and you're sunk, you know. And it's not like that, John chapter 11. So I'm just going to have you guys read, stick the mic right here and our sound people will be so delighted. And uh, that's great. Sure. Thanks. Here, I'm going to take this. Perfect. Okay, this is the word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Martha who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Digia again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary reminded Remain seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, this, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supporting, supposing that she was 
going to the tomb to weep and weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Do you want to carry on? And Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou heardst me always. But I have said this on account of the people standing by, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with bandages and his feet, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what it did, what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, you guys, so much. Appreciate that. Yeah. I have... Uh, I've had the joy of reading this text a lot of different times in my life. I know some of you have. It's a familiar, deeply appreciated account of what happens in the life of the Lord. I love it for what it says about my frailty, about you know, my weakness, and how God addresses frailty. I love it because Jesus took really heart, gut-wrenching grief, and entered right into the middle of it. They didn't ignore it or belittle it. He actually engaged with, with grief. I love it for the sheer surprise that, that happens around the tomb when a mummy comes walking out. I love that scene, and I imagine, you know, what everybody there must have thought or reacted to, how they responded, what was on their face. I love it for how it, it changes perspective. And I believe, as I've thought through this text again and try to listen to the Lord. I think that's really at the heart of what's going on here. Um, so I got these really cool glasses. They are, they're, they're 3D glasses. They actually light up. Isn't that cool? And um, you can look at 3D stuff and say, wow, wouldn't that cool? Some of you have been in the movies and you see like 3D stuff and it jumps right out. But not only does it do 3D, it has night vision with these glasses. And screw these in and have night vision. It's very, very, very cool. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? Right? It, something silly, stupid like this, it, um, it changes the way we view things. And I believe at the heart of this text in John chapter 11, God was trying to help you understand that things are not always as they always seem. 
Actually, we, we should look at things differently in our life with a different perspective. And I think that's what he was doing in the life of those people that he loved deeply. Can I ask you a question this morning that's important? It's actually very significant, and it's personal. I don't want you to just blurt it out. I want you to think deeply about this question. What matters most? Is it uh, your family or your personal success, your achievements at work or at school? Is it financial security? Is it your health or your personal satisfaction? What, if you were honest and you, know, you weren't in church and you were just answering you know, by yourself, what is it that matters most to you that you spend your time imagining about, thinking about, dreaming about, hoping for? What matters most? The more I study this event in the life of Jesus, the more I see that Jesus was helping people get a completely different perspective about what matters most. And um, it wasn't just the astounding miracle that happens in Bethany that day, though I'm sure it was shocking. And it did like ruffle a lot of people's feathers. Some people came to faith in Jesus because of it. And some people decided to turn away from him because of this thing that happened that they couldn't get their arms around. But I think beyond all those things, Jesus was giving those that he loved perspective for life. And that's at the heart of the theme of what Jesus is doing, how he's investing into people, investing into you, that he was helping people get perspective for life and doing it by revealing some things about himself and his power and his glory. As I've aged (laughs) over the years, I've been discovering how precious and significant perspective is, seeing things for really what they are, how it alters the way that I view people and events in my life, the big and small changes that I'm going through and how I interact with them and how it reorders my priorities, the way that I view things. Um, When I was a little kid, I loved reading science fiction. Some of you have read Isaac Asimov. He has this really great statement in iRobot. He says, it's obvious, which is so difficult to see most of the time. People say, it's as plain as the nose on your face. But how much of the nose on your face can you see unless someone holds a mirror up to you? Right? Um, I, I apparently am losing hair in the back of my head. I can't see that. I think it's great. I think I'm fine. But other people remind me about it. My boys remind me on a regular basis. It's a matter of perspective. I, see, I look fine when I look in the mirror. I can't see it. It's a matter of way I look at things, how I perceive things. And I believe that actually in this text, in this event, in the life of our Lord, he was helping those people around him that he loved the most get a completely different picture, a perspective about what was coming, about who he was, and about how they should live their life. He was changing things. He was helping them see what should have been obvious, but for all of us, it's difficult to see in our daily life and and as we live through our life. Not long after this event, um, another event is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus takes those disciples who are closest to him up on this hill. Theologians, they call this event in Matthew 17 the transfiguration because Jesus looks very different to them when he reveals himself. I like to call it the big reveal. Because Jesus actually shows them who he really truly is. They've been walking and doing all these things, living in the presence 
of God in the flesh. And they haven't really fully appreciated yet. So Jesus like opens the curtain a bit and says, look at this. It's not that he changed. It's that he's showing who he really truly is. When I say, I as a believer, a follower of Jesus, live in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. What am I saying? How does that change the way that I view things and people and events? When I know that I'm living in the presence daily, moment by moment, of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, God Almighty. What does that say to me? How does that change the way that I behave and the way that I interpret things around me? So Jesus, I believe, is giving this wonderful gift of perspective. And the account begins with this striking statement found in John 11, verse 4. So Jesus gets word that his dear friend Lazarus is sick. And he makes this statement in verse 4, at the very beginning of the passage. Verse 4 says, And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. The end of the story is not death. Wait a second, what happens to Lazarus? He dies. So isn't the end of the story death? No. That's what Jesus is saying. He can see it before it happens. This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. So God's son may be glorified through it. The end of the story is not death. The end of the story from beginning to end, it's not death. The beginning and end of your story, it's not death. Yesterday, I had um, the privilege of being at memorial service. Yvette, who is Valentine, is one of our own. She's been in our fellowship for 26 years. And um, she went to be with the Lord. Here's what I know. Yvette's perspective today is very different because she's in the presence of Jesus Christ and her perspective of Christ, although she's a longtime believer and has read and studied God's word and walked with him for a long time, it's different today. It's very different, I know, because she's in the direct presence and she's like, oh, wow. And that's exactly what's happening in this particular text. I have a, um, a dear friend who's also her perspective has changed because she's with Jesus now too. And she was on staff with me at the church I was doing ministry with in Michigan. And um, so I, she was one of our admins. I loved her. She's great. And um, she got cancer and now she's with Jesus. And one of her favorite things was all things Disney. Anything Disney, she was passionate about. Some of you are like that, right? I know. Anything Disney, she was passionate about. And some of you might have heard me tell the story before, but... Um, so when she was in high school, still, and as a little kid, she loved Disney all her life. But when she was in high school, she was with this marching band that was really great. And, um, and they got chosen to go be in a parade at Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And very excited about that, of course, for her as a life highlight. She goes to Orlando, you know, and she's with her band. And they go there, and they're welcome. They do the rides, and then it's their time to start performing. So they go downstairs, Disney. You know, in Orlando and in Disneyland, they've got this whole thing going on underneath that none of us get to see unless we're privy to, unless we're employed there. And it's this whole, you know, setup. Then they go downstairs and they're told where to change. And she goes into the changing room with her friends. She's very excited about, you know, the the whole band thing they're going to do and how exciting it is to be in Disneyland. They go in the women's changing area and they see Snow White. 
and Snow White's got a tattoo and she's smoking a cigarette and she's, she's got spiky blonde hair. It's like, what in the world? Her, her perspective changed like immediately about Snow White, who is not who she thought she was. Like she's crushed. In a very opposite way, Jesus is going to change their perspective about who he is. And that they didn't like when they discovered who Jesus was, they weren't disappointed. They were amazed. They were shocked at the power of the living God in their midst. And that's what happens in this story. How he helps them see what matters most. And the statement that Jesus makes is this thing, it's not about death. First Corinthians chapter 15 says, death, where is your sting? There is no sting in death for those who follow Jesus Christ because he's been victorious already. He's defeated death and he's going to bring that to pass here in John 11 in the life of someone he loved, Lazarus. And he's going to do it with purpose because the thing that matters above all else is the glory of God. The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That what matters most is the glory of God. But can I speak for a second about our issues with that statement? Because we have issues It seems like a hyper-religious statement. How and why is the glory of God really more important than my health or the people in my life that I love the most, my family? Or how or why is the glory of God more important than my success or my pleasure or my things? Why should it really matter to me the most? So the Bible has an answer to that. You would expect it, right? Because it speaks to our basic needs. And the Bible has a lot of responses, but there's three core responses to why I really should live for the glory of God. The first is is that I was made for this. I was made by God, the God of heaven and earth who created me. I was made to live for the glory of God. He created me for this purpose. And I find my deepest fulfillment when I'm not living for my own self, when I live for the glory of God. When he gets attention, not when I get attention, Not when I've got this whole rack of trophies or medals for whatever my achievements are, or I've got this wall of fame, you know, as people walk in my office or whatever. It's for the glory of God. If if we ever, for a moment, church, um, take the glory that's intended for God and say, aren't we great at bridges? How we've just blown it. If we ever do that personally, we're in the wrong place because God has created us to live for his glory. And second, when I'm living for the glory of God and not my own glory, there's great reward. So I said, I mentioned briefly that um, we had this memorial service for Yvette Valentine, my friend, yesterday. And what I loved about the service more than all other things is that Yvette had a bunch of people from her work and from her neighborhood. A ton of her neighbors showed up. I don't know if you died today or if I died today that a ton of my neighbors are going to show up to my memorial service, but hers did. And uh, we have an open sharing time where I just invited people to, you know, to share memories. And one neighbor after another just stood up and started talking about her. And as I was listening to these stories, I was thinking, this is very cool. Because what they're mentioning about Yvette is a woman who lived for the glory of God. 
She just loved Jesus and they saw Jesus in her. They started naming the characteristics of Christ and how he had marked her life. I thought, what a powerful statement. How great is that? That this woman lived, I mean, she had all kinds of weaknesses and challenges, but Yvette lived for the glory of God, and people saw that in her, and it had this great lasting effect on people. We had all kinds of great spiritual conversations with people afterwards because of the way that Yvette lived her life. That's why it matters so much. And the third reason Scripture gives us is that when I live for my own glory, things fall apart. I get caught up in sin which destroys my soul and every important relationship I have when I live for myself and not for the glory of God. So the billion-dollar question is, how? How do I live with a changed perspective and live for his glory? And this, I believe, is at the heart of the gift that Jesus is giving here in John chapter 11. Now, there's a lot of ways that God declares his glory, isn't there? I wake up, I look at the sunrise when it's really a spectacular one. I go, wow, that's fantastic. Or I look in a telescope or a microscope and I see the creativity of God is bursting out. And I see these things, the physical world, and I, and I see it declare the glory of God. Psalms tells us that, that nature does declare the glory of God. I hear the laughter of a child. I have watched a baptism. I see life change. But at the heart, the most profound way the glory of God is declared, God's glory is most profoundly revealed through his love, through expressions of his love. And at the core, John chapter 11, this story of Lazarus is a love story. And that's why you hear the author, John, keep mentioning this throughout the story. Oh, these are, these are ones that Jesus loved. There is a reason why Jesus sobbed uncontrollably with Mary and the others. And why Jesus had the conversation he did with Martha. And there's a reason why Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Yeah, Jesus was declaring his glory, but he was declaring his glory through his acts of love. See, love's, love risks, doesn't it? We know that because in the story here, the first thing the disciples say is, Oh, um, are we sure we want to go to Bethany? Because like last time we were there, it was trouble. And we could get killed there. People are going to pick up rocks and start throwing them at us. We actually could be killed if we go there. And Thomas makes the statement, you know what? I'm in. I'm going to follow you. Let's go, even though we're going to die. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? It's a risky, bold statement that Thomas makes. He's ready to join in because love risks. And here's a hard one. Love waits. What happens when Jesus gets the word that Lazarus is ill. He waits for a couple days. And that hurt. All right, the first thing when he gets here finally to Bethany is Martha comes up and said, Lord, if you'd only been here. And then sister comes, Mary, and she's mad. She won't even see Jesus at first. And then she comes and she said, if you've only been here, then if you'd only come in time. Why did Jesus wait? Because love waits. Love doesn't come rescuing us exactly when we want it. And that's hard, isn't it? When I'm begging for a job right now and I'm struggling. Or if I'm seeking God because of some health issue of my own or or someone that I love and I need it to happen right now. And God waits. That's hard. Hard to accept. 
Listen to this. This is powerful. God waits because he loves you. He's waiting because his glory is best revealed when he waits. It's what happens in the story here in John 11. And love weeps. It gets emotionally overcome with the heartache and loss, and Jesus connects to it. That's why some of you learned this Bible memory verse. It was the first one you had. Jesus wept. It's pretty easy, right? You could be a Bible scholar today. You could leave and say, yeah, I memorized a verse today, right? Jesus wept, and it's a powerful verse. It is that the Lord God, even though he knew he was about to do, he stepped right into their sorrow and their grief and their loss and their pain. And love acts at just the right moment. Not at your timing, God's timing. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, it says in verse 41, and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I, thank you. His confidence in his prayer, doesn't he? I knew that you heard me, or I already knew that you heard me. I just said that so other people who are listening in on our conversation, Father, would know of my confidence in you, and I knew that you were going to act, and you've always heard me. I said that for the confidence of people around me. And when he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's love acting. And the dead man came out. And people screamed, I'm sure, and yelled and squealed. And they they were overwhelmed in the moment, right? They were overwhelmed. But the moment wasn't about just the act, just the miracle. The moment was about love and action and the power of God to bring his glory into the moment to address our greatest need. It's his love that most forcefully and thoroughly changes our perspective on things and their perspective here. When Jesus said, God so loved the world, they gave his one and only son. How does that change you? How does that that change the way that you're going to live your life for him this week? And that I'm going to respond to things this week. Does God truly love the world? He's demonstrated it. Does God Almighty really know and love me? Sacrifice, give his own son, his precious only son for me? And if so, what do I do with it? And that's what was at the heart of people's wrestling here. Could they trust the love of Jesus? In John 11, they wrestled with that. And Martha has a conversation with Jesus. And into that, Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe it? Yeah. That's the question you really have to answer. If you've never answered that before the Lord God, that's the question. Do you believe that he has power over life and death and he wants to save you and forgive you of your sin and your wreckage? Because he does. And if you trust him, you will be new. Martha responds, oh, Lord, you know, and in the last day, I trust that you're going to do this. So she had a good statement that she makes there, but she didn't fully appreciate the full power that actually God was going to do what he was going to do, that he was going to take her brother and after four days of rotting, going to bring him back to life, right? Didn't fully appreciate it yet. And I believe Jesus knew their struggle with the whole trust thing. And that's why he keeps dealing with the trust issue in his text. And he brings them to a place to understand. That's why he wept. That's why he rose Lazarus. 
He was saying, you can trust my love because I alone give life. I am the life. For Christians, the, that phrase, I'm the resurrection and the life, that's life-altering. It, it's perspective-changing. It's the heart of what transforms us. Either he gives life or he doesn't. Right? Either Easter happened or it didn't happen. And if it did happen, things are different for you, men and women. The book of John's gospel begins with this description of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, that's Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, including you. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating right here in John 11. In him was life. Life and the life was the light of us, men and women and children. In Bethany, Jesus was again demonstrating the truth of those statements and the trustworthiness of his love for you and for me. What mattered most was not Lazarus's illness or death, though Lazarus clearly mattered to Jesus. What mattered most was the glory of God, and that's still. What matters most? God's glory. And it's most powerfully evidenced through his love and how we respond to that love. And we can trust his love because he alone is the giver of life and he's the resurrection and the life. We have a really great family. I don't know how many of you know them in our fellowship. Um, Eddie and Eileen Kim and... Eileen just gave birth to a little girl, precious little girl on Easter. And her name is Ileana. And Ileana has a major heart issue. Um, They just discovered it at birth. And uh, so she's at UCSF, the Children's Hospital. And they just did a six-hour surgery on her yesterday. And the next 48 hours are critical. I mention this because I want you to pray. I'm going to pray as a church family, we're going to pray for them right now. I know there's all kinds of other needs we have in our fellowship, but I just happen to be connected to this family and um, what's going on. And I know they would really appreciate our prayer for Ileana. The great thing is, Eddie and Eileen know and follow Jesus. And they're trusting. Eddie's a doctor, and he knows too many details about this. You know, sometimes when we know all the details, it's challenging. But um, they're trusting the Lord, and they know... This is about this little girl. It's about the glory of God. It's not about them. They love this little girl, and she's precious. I can tell you, she's this really cute little girl. But she's in the hands of the Lord, just like I am in the hands of the Lord, just like you are all this week. And the story that he's writing is not about you. It's about the glory of God. Would you join me in prayer for them, for the the Kim's um, father? We would love to see Ileana healthy and whole and have a whole lifetime to be able to live for your honor and glory and to, to come to know you and serve you and reflect your glory to people. You know, that's our hearts. And we're praying for healing for her, for this precious little girl. But most importantly, Father, we're praying, um, praying for your glory, that what happens in these days that Eddie and Eileen would be able to be faithful to you and 
to process this, to live through it for your glory, and that Lydia, their little two-year-old, would be able to understand um, this is about your glory. Father, work it out for your name's sake. We're trusting you for this, Jesus Christ's name, who is the resurrection and the life, we pray. Amen. Now, before um, we do anything else, I want to invite you to respond to the glory of God this week, to see it, to have your perspective changed, to put on maybe funny-looking glasses, whatever, and, and understand that this story that he's writing, it's not about death. It doesn't end there. It ends with the glory of God being revealed, and the sooner you embrace that, the better your life is going to be. And this week, for those of you who follow Jesus, I want to just appeal to you to live for his glory, right? To live full out for his glory and understand things differently. What's going on with your family and what's going on with your job, all those things really at its heart are about the glory of God expressed in Jesus Christ who is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.